If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible, if you look in front of you right there in the pew, there should be a Bible for you. Exodus is just the second book in the Bible, and this morning we're going to continue a sermon series entitled, For the Rescue of Us All. And what we're doing is we're looking way back in God's Word, and again, that second book of the Bible, and what we're going to find is this, is that God has a pattern a pattern of rescue for us that is consistent throughout all of Scripture, an amazing pattern that, that's going to point to His Son, a pattern that His people are going to cry out uh, to, to be saved, cry out to be rescued. Has that been you, maybe even recently? And we can see a God who hears our cries, a God who raises up a, a rescuer, a deliverer for us, a God who we should celebrate with thanksgiving and joy, for all that he has done for us. A God who never stops rescuing. A God who never stops pursuing. A God who is with us. A God who is for us. It is such good news. We, we looked last week at one of these themes. We're going to look at seven different themes found in the book of Exodus that will point to this kind of like formula or recipe of the delivering of us all. And we started off that God provides us a savior a miraculous birth of a savior and it's true of the people in the old testament when he raised up moses no ordinary child but we look to how all that points to jesus and then we see that god always promises to deliver he makes promises to deliver his people and rescue us i'm sure that all of us have had the experience and the pain of a broken promise isn't some of the most painful thing in life a broken promise? I, I even think of a child. I mean, just the agony on a child's face when they, when they feel like a promise has been broken. And maybe they don't understand the timing of the promise, and maybe they're just not patient enough. But, but moms and dads, haven't you seen in the face of your children sometimes? Just agony. But you promised. You know, there's just like this, you promised. And maybe some of us can even look back and remember some of those promises that we felt uh, our parents broke against us. But maybe for some, it's a spouse. You know, it was, you stood before God in a place like this, and you made vows to one another, for things like for better, for worse, saying, hey, I'm all in, I'm all yours, you're it, and, and, and together we're going to conquer the world, and, and then to have a broken promise, and just the pain of, of that feeling of a promise that was that was broken and and maybe for some it's just even that, that we're the ones who broke those promises and, and and that pain as well but for a christian for a christian god promises so much god-sized promises are here in this word and some of the promises you just want to scratch your head and say really god you've promised so so much and if we're honest and i think we need to be we could stop and say does it often feel like God just kind of leaves us out there? Does it kind of sometimes feel like, God, have you forgotten your promises? Yo, God, you know, here I am. Do you see what is happening? Can you hear these prayers? Do you know that I'm just groaning and moaning in life? God, where are you? Now, sometimes it's hard for us to say things to, things to God like that because we're afraid like he's God, right? And can we really be honest? But let me tell you the good news. Read through scripture. Get to things like Psalm 13. In Psalm 13, you're going to have a guy like David, a heart after God. He's going to cry out, How long, O oh Lord? How long? Are you going to forget me forever? How long are you going to leave me here? 
And I know for many of you, that's your prayer even this morning. For, for almost all of us, I promise we've probably been there at one time or not in our lives where, where life just is bottoming out. And we have all these promises of God, and it seems to deliver sometimes so little. Where are they? But let me tell you, God's promises are faithful and true. They will always come to fruition. We're going to look at God's promises and, and the rescue of us all. Uh, and there's four things I want us to see this morning. First of all is this. God knows our sufferings. And again, that is good news. God knows what you and I are going through. He knows our sufferings. God keeps his promises. That's the second thing. God personally rescues us from our troubles, and God is going to give us his name. So we're going to see this. We're going to pick up the story uh, in Exodus chapter 2. Unlike going through 1 Timothy, we're just looking at themes, so we're not going to see every verse. But we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 2, beginning in verse 23, and we're going to read uh, through chapter 3. So let's be mindful. This is God's holy and errant word. The words will be with you here on the screen. Maybe you just want to sit and listen. Uh, maybe you want to grab the Bible and follow along. But let's hear God's holy and errant word. During those days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up to the land, to a, to a land, uh, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. 
And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what you have done and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Prezerites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman should ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in the house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what an incredible story. And God, in so many ways, uh, it's an entertaining story, but it seems so far away. Not just geographically, but space and time. A God who speaks to a servant from a bush. A God who calls in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A God, what do you have for us here at King's Chapel today? How can this story be a story of delivering for us? But because, God, your Holy Spirit empowered Moses, this word was true for the Israelites way back then, but it's true for us today. And God, it speaks to us today. So we need you to speak. And we need you to speak through a broken vessel like me. Oh God, it's, a, it's a, such a beautiful story. And in my flesh, I could mess it up. God, I could say things that are, that are not right or, or just that things that are just my opinion. And that won't help any of us. But God, all of us need to be rescued. And all of us need to be delivered. So God, we need to hear your voice. So may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in your matchless name I pray, the great I am. Amen. The first thing we're going to see here out of this passage, it's such a good reminder, is that God knows our sufferings. I mean, he knows them and he wants to unpack 
how he knows them. He doesn't just know them from a distance, and he doesn't just hear something about them. God intimately is aware of your life and my life, intimately is aware of our sufferings and our groanings, all of them. It says God hears our cries. He says it in chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. He repeats it again in chapter 3, 7 and 9. And it's interesting the Hebrew word here, because it's three different Hebrew words that are used to communicate groaning, crying, crying out. One is groans. Groans. It's that, that natural, spontaneous reaction to trouble. Have you been there? Have you just sometimes, you can't even articulate it, just like, oh. It's just like a, it's like a groan. I mean, it's just, just this guttural crying out. You just can't even help it sometimes because life gets that way. Then there's this crying out, which is kind of like a shriek. Ha! Oh, you got to be kidding me. I mean, it's just like a, another a spontaneous crying out from affliction, from pain of what is happening in your life. Have you been there? Some of you might even be there now. Groan. Why? Well, it said that there was a new king in Egypt. One had died, a new one came. Same slavery, same condition. You know, how often does things happen in your life where things change, and yet you find yourself in the same spot? You find yourself dealing with the same issues? Uh, maybe there's a couple new things in your life uh, or, or, or in the world around you, and all of a sudden you realize no matter what seems to be changing around you, you still have the same junk happening inside of you and the same brokenness, and all that leads is to croning and to crying out. I love what Psalm 18, 6 is going to say. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help, and from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry uh, came to him and reached his ears. And even more clearly is when we get what Paul writes uh, in, the, in the book of Romans. He says this about our crying, crying out and moaning. He says, likewise, the Spirit of God helps in our weakness for when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Listen to this. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know what that says? That, that's, that's incredible to me. This is saying when life is so broken, when the wheels are not just off, you can't even find them. And when, 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 when things are so bleak that, that it, all you have is a groan, it says that the Holy Spirit's going to interpret those to the Father. That, let me just tell you what's going on. And even the Holy Spirit himself is going to enter into the groaning. A God who knows our sufferings. A God who hears our groaning and cries. And the Holy Spirit who lives to intercede for us as well, just like Jesus. You know what this really tells us? Of all the things that engage our God, you know what it is? It's prayer. Prayer engages our God. He hears you. He listens. He's got his timing. And sometimes it's not going to feel that way, but I, 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 Scripture tells us our God's a God who hears. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He does. And how do we engage God to action according to Scripture? It's prayer. As we come to him and we say, hey, God, we're your kids, and you love us, and this is what life is all about right now. God, help. We desperately need you. God knows our sufferings. Not only that, he sees our afflictions. Uh, he sees it. He says, I see what's going on. Nothing for God's people is outside of God's gaze. It's a little scary sometimes too, isn't it? Both with our suffering and our sin. Nothing isn't outside what God is aware of. I know we often feel like God can't see us. 
We often feel like somehow we're in such darkness that maybe we can't be seen. But remember what Scripture says, even the darkness is light to him. Maybe we feel like, gosh, are you not seeing my pains, my wounds? Are you not noticing my condition, my situation? God, where are you? I love one of the names that is given early on in the book of Genesis, El Roy. It's a God who sees. A God who sees. And a God who sees, and what God sees, it connects to his heart. God who knows our sufferings. And I like how it says, it's like, listen, I hear him, and, and I, I see him. And then he says, in verse 25, he says, and God knew. I, I love how it just ends there. It says, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You ever have one of those, like, hmm, I know. I got it. I know. Interestingly, he'll say in verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmaster. Watch this. And I know their sufferings. The Hebrew word here, to know, is the same word used to describe the relationship that Adam and Eve had with one another, this incredible marital, marital relationship where Adam knew his wife. And when it says Adam knew his wife, it's very intimate. I mean, it's, it's, it's the most intimate that an, a husband and wife can know each other in the most intimate of ways. Adam was intimately aware of who Eve was. And this is saying God is intimately aware of who you are. He's intimately aware of your situation. He is intimately aware of your groaning, your brokenness, your pain, your confusion. He is intimately knows. God knows. He's intimately aware of our sufferings. He's personally aware. You know, isn't there such comfort? Just to know, if you could just share with me that you know my condition, isn't that not comforting? If you can find somebody else who says, man, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I see what you're going through. I hear you. And I, I mean, there's discomfort for a human being to have someone else say, I get it. I know. But we have God saying, I get it. I know. The greatest of all comforts is that God knows our comforts. Our, our, our sufferings. But there's more. God not only knows it personally. Listen, Jesus, Jesus knows our sufferings. Why? Because here's what God did. God, God the Son became like us. God suffered like us. It's incredible. Not only does he know it from a distance, but scripture will tell us God enters in. That God himself, in Christ Jesus, he will suffer. The book of Hebrews makes this clear. I'm going to pick up a few verses in Hebrews 2. Verse 17, it talks about Jesus. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. Jesus is called, calls us his brothers in every way, fully man, fully God, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. This is saying, listen, God not only knows, he's been there. He suffered too. Verse, chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a, a Savior, a high priest, who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in the time of help in time of need. He's basically saying this. Listen, Jesus put on flesh, and he experienced the brokenness too. And here's our Savior. He's aware. He suffered. He suffered too. He suffered with us. But there's more incredible story about this, about this Jesus. He not only suffered with us, watch this. 
He suffered for us. He came, and because of his suffering, we could be healed. He suffered for us, although he's the sinless one. He's the spotless Lamb of God. And Scripture says that through his suffering, we're going to be made whole. I mean, it's just incredible how God has done this. I want, I want to read this to you. This is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant, and it's, it talks about Jesus, and he is the man of sorrows. And it says this, some 700 years before Jesus arrived, it would talk about the one who would come and rescue us. And it says this, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is Jesus. And one from whom men would hide their faces. He was despised. We, can, we esteemed him not. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him smitten, uh, stricken by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He suffered for us. And he was crushed for our iniquities, for us. And upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what? You've got to understand. And Jesus not only suffered with you to sympathize with you, he suffered for you to heal you. What an incredible God. All right. God, not only that, he will see, uh, knows our sufferings. God keeps his promises. It says, God, he heard, he saw, and he remembered. Now remember, God didn't forget. This doesn't mean that God, oh yeah, oh yeah, I made a promise. No, no, no. This is God's like bringing to the front and say, hey, I remember. I remember I made a promise. And if you read through this and you're not familiar with scripture, this is a, what's called a covenant God who enters in relationship with his people and he wants to make sure that we know this relationship. He, did you hear him say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He repeated it over and over and over again. Because he showed up to these guys. And he says, listen, this man of faith, Abraham, he says, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And I'm going to be with you and for you. I'm going to give you a promised land. And he makes these incredible promises. And now you find God's people in slavery for some 400 years. They got to be thinking, what in the world's going on? But he did promise a land and a people. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis, in Genesis, God makes a promise to Abraham in 12, 15, and 17. But in 15, he says this, 15, 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. It's just unbelievable that Genesis is going to tell them, by the way, you're going to find yourself in bondage. It's going to last 400 years. This is where we find God's people now. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. God keeps his promises, even if it takes 400 years. God's people had suffered a long time, but God's plan is on time. It always is. Not our timing, but his. God's promises comes true. God promised, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide you a land. In verse 8 in chapter 3, he says this, I personally am going to come down and deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and I'm going to bring them to a, hand, a land that's, that's a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a promised land. Listen, this is the pattern of the Bible. These people found themselves in a the wilderness. God had promised them something that hadn't come true yet. 
He says, I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to lead you to the promised land. He did it. We see it. He parted the sea. He fed him in the desert. It was amazing. What does that have to do with us? Jesus comes. He says, I'm going to deliver you from the slavery of sin and death. I'm going to lead you home. I'm going to lead you a place that I'm preparing for you. But right now, your life's going to feel like a desert. And you're going to feel like you're wandering until you get home. But I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide for you. God will always lead us to the promised land. If you feel like you're wandering the desert, know that we're going to make our way home. God is in this, it's amazing, in Scripture. He's both the promise maker and he's the promise keeper. Now, now, this is deep dive here. Don't miss this, because if you get this in the Bible, the Bible will become something you never read before. You're going to read this. If you can understand that God is both the promise maker and that God is the promise keeper, I promise you this will change the way not only you read the Bible, the way you see life, and the way you love God. Now, how can you say that, Jeff? It's true, because why? Because all of the promises of God, and they're huge, there's many they find, according to Scripture, they find their fulfillment or their yes in Christ Jesus. Have you ever read through Scripture and doesn't it seem conditional? God often says, if you do this, I'll do that. And if you do this, I'm going to bless you with that. And if you do this, I'm going to give you life. And if you do this, I'm going to give you this. And by the way, if you do the wrong thing, curses are coming. And by the way, if you do the wrong thing, woohoo, there's going to be some consequences, right? And so God has all these promises in the Bible and all these promises that sound very conditional. If you do this, I will do this. And by the way, if you mess up, you're going to get this. It sounds that way to God. He's a gracious God, but what is happening? But you read it very carefully and you realize, wow, all the promises actually find their fulfillment in Jesus. Because God not only makes the promises, God's son keeps the promises mind-blowing. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for all the promises of God, not some of them, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter out amen to the glory, uh, to God for his glory. This is what it means. Don't miss it. This is so important. Jesus put on flesh and came as a man and he came to rescue us. But here's what he also came to do. He came to fulfill the requirements of God. What are the requirements of God? It's his law. So God is holy. And God can't just look at sin and say it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And because God is holy and God has given us a law to live by, some man has to fulfill it. And every one of us falls short. Oh, for the universe until Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the God's law to secure God's blessing. Listen, all the ifs, he did them all. All of them. All the ifs. He's fulfilled God's law. And so here's the great thing. He's now magnifies it for us. We don't owe anything to God's law. It's complete. God can still be holy and just because why? Because Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. So good. Quit trying to do it on your own. You can't. There's one who has done it for you, but there's more. Not only did he fulfill the ifs, unbelievably, he took the penalty for the don'ts. If you do this, you're going to be cursed. You read through scripture. I mean, especially like the book of Deuteronomy. It's like, 
man, choose life, not death. If you do this, you're going to live. If you do this, you're going to die. And there's going to be a curse. When sin comes, a curse follows. That's who God is. So here you have Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, fulfills the law. But guess what else he does? He hangs on the cross. Why? Well, he's going to absorb the curse. He's going to become the curse. Why? So that we could receive the blessings. So we don't have to touch the curse. We don't have to taste the curse. Because he absorbed it all. So he would be on the cross and he'd cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the holy God is pouring down upon his own son what we deserve, the wrath for our sins. He drank the curse to the dregs so that we can drink the blessings. You see, God not only makes the promises blow your mind, God keeps the promises. And now he says for us, walk by faith. Embrace a Savior who will give you the blessings of God because he has absorbed the curses of God. God rescues us from our troubles, and he does it personally. I didn't read this. I wanted to. You know that I love the word. We could have started in chapter 2, verse 11. We left off that Moses was rescued in that basket last week, and he was turned over to the Pharaoh's daughter, and he's being raised by the Pharaoh's daughter in luxury. But you know what it says in chapter 2? That Moses went out to see his people, and I love the fact that he called them his people. He wanted to see what was happening. So Moses gets out of all the palace and all the proceeds, and he goes into the hood. And he goes into the slaves, and he sees what's happening to his people. And guess what? They're being oppressed. And he sees an Egyptian kill one of God's people. And he looks to the left, and he looks to the right, and he's so ticked, he kills a man who kills somebody, uh, one, of, one of God's people. He goes back out the next day, and they're arguing with each other. He's like, hey, fellas, what are you doing? You should be arguing. And they're like, who are you, man? Are you going to kill us like you did that guy yesterday? And he realizes, uh-oh, word is out. I'm in trouble. I better get out of here. And he runs into the wilderness and spends 40 years outside of God's, what it seems to be, story. But God was working on him. Here's the point. Moses wanted to take things in his own hands. He goes out and sees God's people, so he's going to act on himself. It's all a mess. God says, listen, Moses, it's not about you saving God's people. It's me. I'm the Savior. I'm the rescuer. I'm the one who's going to come down. I'm the one who's going to deliver. Yeah, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you in a big, big way. But we got to know that God and God alone is the one who rescues us. Moses tried to take things in his own hands. He looked at their burdens, and man, did it go bad. But God rescues his people. He personally, it says in verse 8, chapter 3, God personally comes down to rescue. God promises personally in verse 12 to be with us. God is a personal God who rescues. And here's the whole story of the Bible. God personally sends his son. For the ultimate rescue. God would so love the world that he would give his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God personally rescues. God personally sends his son. And what would happen was Jesus would become one of us. The word of God would put on flesh and dwell among us to rescue us. God himself rescues us from our troubles. What a great God. The God who gives us his name. He says to Moses, okay, Moses, I'm going to send you back. And Moses is like, who am I going to tell him sent me? Well, listen, let me reveal to you the name. The name is it's, it's interpreted Yahweh. I am who I am. The Hebrew could mean I will be who I will be. This is God, the eternal I am. God's amazing name revealed to his people. 
But then we think of Jesus. And Jesus who comes on the scene and he says, by the way, I am. You know how scandalous that was to the Jewish people? There was no greater name than the name Yahweh. I mean, they, they, they were afraid to say it. They were afraid to write it. This is the great I am. I am who I am. And here's this prophet out of Nazareth. Here's this carpenter's boy. And he's going to say, I am? If you read the scripture, if you don't know the background, and you read things like Rome, uh, John chapter 8, where he's having a discussion with the religious people, and he's, he's railing on them. And he says these words. He says, listen, before Abraham was, remember Abraham, the promises? Before he was, I am. You know what they do? They pick up stones to kill him. Why would they do that? I mean, okay, so the dude said that he was before Abraham. So why, why throw stones at him and kill him? Because they knew. This man just claimed God's name. He just took I am. He said, I am. This is what Jesus claimed. He said, yeah, I am. God gives us his name. And by the way, I am the bread of life, Jesus would say. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true door. I am the true vine. I am is what Jesus says. The name of God. The name that is above every name. See, God shares his name with us. And I love the way Paul will say it in Philippians 2. He'll say, Jesus, who being fully God, uh, did not consider equality God something to be grasped, but he would humble himself. He would empty himself. He, he would be found in the form of a man, in the form of a servant. He would, he would be obedient to God, even to the point of death and death on the cross. I mean, what humiliation for God's son. But God the Father says, I'm going to take the name of Jesus. I'm going to lift it up. It's going to be higher than any other name that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, the great I am. Jesus, the name that is above every name. A name that God has not only given to us, but shares with us. And says, if you believe in his name, you're ready for this, you could be called my children as well. For all who receive me, who all who embrace Christ as Savior, I will give them, John 1, 12, the right to become children of God. 1 John 3, 1, see what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, have his name, and that is what we are. I just love that reality that God gives us his name in the midst of all our troubles and said, this one's mine. Let me end with this thought. Parents, what would you do for your child? What would you do for your child in trouble? Would you not try to part the oceans? Would you not try to go to anywhere you could go? Would you not go to any length for your child? What length has God gone for you and for me? He not only hears our sufferings, he not only familiar with them, he enters in. He personally rescues us. The name of Jesus, not only the name above every name, but the name of Savior, Whatever troubles you have, whatever you're going through, God is able. And if you're his, God will. What do the promises of God mean to you? He will, he has, and he will forever rescue us, and we're headed home. And for those of you who don't know him, if you want to be his, here's the great news. He's never turned one dirty sheep away, and he never will. 
If you cry out to him, he will forgive you and accept you and make you his own. A God who personally rescues us. Amen? Let's pray. And Father, it's, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> I mean, man is not good enough to make this stuff up. This has got to come from you. Because this smells like Jesus. This has the aroma of Christ all over it. A God who hears our moans and our cries. A God who sees our affliction. A God who knows. A God who enters in. And oh, Father, the length that you and the Son and Spirit would take to enter into our sufferings. That, that your beloved Son would suffer with us. Hallelujah. That your beloved Son would suffer for us. Hallelujah. And that your Holy Spirit would comfort us in the midst of our suffering even today. Hallelujah. Now, Father God, in this world we're all going to have troubles and the way home is going to be thorny and difficult. But God, we thank you for your promises that you are both the promise maker and the promise keeper. And all the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. To him and to him alone be glory. Amen.